0: Good evening, everyone. My name's John, and uh, I just ask that you uh, continue your conversations after the service later this evening. Um, I'm reading the first Bible reading. Let me just adjust this. Uh, Stereo microphones. Uh, The first reading is from Psalm 143, and it can be found on page 446 of the Pew Bibles. O oh Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down the pit. Let the morning bring... Bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Rescue me from my enemies, O Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant.
1: And the second reading is found on page 799 and it's Romans chapter seven. Do you not know brothers, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then, if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who, was raised him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. For what I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. "'For apart from law, sin is dead. "'Once I was alive apart from law, "'but when the commandment came, "'sin sprang to life, and I died. "'I found that the very commandment "'that was intended to bring life "'actually brought death. "'For sin, seizing the opportunity "'afforded by the commandment, deceived me, "'and through the commandment put me to death. "'So then, the law is holy, "'and the commandment is holy, "'righteous and good.' Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that sin might be recognised as sin, it produced death in me through what was good, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is the sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me, for in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin.
2: Let me add my welcome. It's good to see you tonight. My name is Paul. We're in Romans chapter 7. I hope you've had a good uh, long weekend so far. I hope tomorrow's a great day for you as well. I've um, spent the last week preaching at a a conference uh, called the Barnabas Conference for school chaplains and for um, scripture teachers, basically. And it's been a real privilege to spend every day this week just uh, teaching those guys. But it's lovely just to come back to your church, to people that you know, to see familiar faces. Uh, There's something really uh, beautiful about just teaching the Word of God to people that you're doing life with. Uh, I think if, if Jesus were here tonight, he would look at our church and he would see uh, four different groups of people. Uh, some of us here tonight, I think, love rules a bit too much. We love law a bit too much. We love being told what to do. Uh, part of us, that little part of us, finds our security and finds a bit of our salvation in keeping rules. Just tell me, Paul, what I can do and what I can't do, where I can go and where I can't go, who I can date and who I can't date. Just give me the rules. I I like keeping rules. Some of us here tonight, I think, love grace a bit too much. You're saved by grace, and you can't be any more saved than saved, and so... It doesn't really matter what I do. And so I just do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so you look at your sort of Facebook page and you'd have absolutely no idea that you claim to follow Jesus. You're just flaunting grace and you don't care about God. Some of us love rules too much. Some of us love grace too much. I'm sure in a a room like tonight, there are people here tonight who You don't follow Jesus. You're not a a Christian. You don't claim to believe in Jesus. You're still working out if he is the Son of God and if he did die on the cross. And if that's you, I'm so glad you're here tonight. But I'm hoping and I'm praying that most of us here tonight fall into category number four. Uh, We don't love rules. uh, We don't uh, love grace too much. We're, We're just ordinary men and women who love Jesus and each day we are just striving to live for Him, uh, acknowledging that we, we do fail, we do keep stuffing up, but we keep running back to Christ. I hope that's the majority of us here. You're not bound by rules, and you're not flaunting the rules, you're just a normal Christian, and you love Jesus, you're saved by grace, and you're, you're longing to live a more godly life, but you're just struggling each day with your sin. Do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel that daily tension? You know, you're at work and you're having that conversation with your work colleague and out of nowhere, you just start to slander or you start to gossip and you're thinking, why am I doing that? Where did that come from? Or you're talking with people at church over, over supper tonight and suddenly in your conversation, you find yourself embellishing a story or or just blatantly lying. You're thinking, where did that come from? Why do I keep on doing that? Or maybe you're meeting with Christians for, for dinner and at the end of the night you go home and you're thinking, what was the point of that? There was no good done tonight. We didn't actually talk about anything wholesome or meaningful. Or maybe you're sitting here tonight and you, you've got this list of Good intentions, all the, the good things that you want to do, you, uh, you'd love to help that person who has just had a baby and cook some meals for them, and you, you'd love to do that random act of kindness, but all the good intentions are there, but you just never quite get around to doing them. Am I the only person who feels that? A list of all these good things that I want to do that, that I don't end up doing, and all these bad things that I don't want to do that I just keep on doing. And that's why I love Romans chapter 7. It's just a a liberating, refreshing, realistic picture of the Christian life. Romans 7 is all about God's law. That that word law is mentioned 35 times in this chapter. When Paul says the word law, he doesn't just mean the Ten Commandments. When he says the word law, he means all the commands of God. All, all the ways that God tells his people that they should live as his people. And Paul is really asking us tonight as a church, if you're a follower of Christ, what is the place of God's law in your daily walk with Jesus? What is the place of the word of God in your daily Christian life? Uh, do you feel sort of bound by it? It's this list of rules that I have to keep and it, it robs you of your joy in your walk with Jesus? Are you a person tonight who just, you don't care? You're just disobeying God's law and you just don't care? Or are you, like me, just struggling and striving day by day just to try and live in a way that pleases God? What is the role of the law in a Christian life? Uh, So far in the book of Romans, law has got a really bad press. Uh, Paul has said, You're not saved by the law. Romans 3, verse 20. No one will be declared right in God's sight by obeying the law. The law can never save you. Uh, The law doesn't actually sanctify you, it's the Spirit of God that sanctifies you. So, what is the role of the law? I've got three points tonight. Here's the first one. If you're a follower of Christ, you are not under law. This is really a word for the legalists, for the people who love rules. Christ has set you free, has released you from being bound by rules. 7 verse 1. Do you not know, brothers, I'm speaking to men who know the law. You know the word of God. The law has, has, no author, sorry, the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives. That's the principle. The law has authority if you're alive, but, but death annuls the law. Death brings an end to all your contractual obligations. Look at marriage, for example. By law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. So if your husband's alive, you're bound to him, you're living under the law of marriage. But if your husband dies, you're not a wife anymore, you're a widow. And so you are released from the law of marriage. So if she marries another man while her husband's still alive, she she is called an adulteress because she's still bound by that law. But if her husband dies, she's not bound by that law. She's released from that law. She's not an adulteress even though she marries another man. Now why is Paul talking like this? Here it is, verse 4. So then, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law. A death has taken place. You have been released from the law. You died to the law, verse 4, through the body of Christ. At Calvary, you were one with Jesus. At Calvary, you died with him, so the law has no power over you. you the law has no power to condemn you, and you can never be saved by law-keeping. That's the point. As, as Christians, you are free from the law. I want you to, to imagine this. Imagine that there's a, a beautiful house, And inside that house lives the Lord Jesus Christ. And your heart's desire is just to be inside that house with Jesus. And you walk up to the house and on that front door of the house, there's this massive combination lock and a whole list of rules to enter. Do not lie. Do not steal. Show generosity and patience and, and kindness do not commit adultery. And you look at that list and, and you're trying this combination. Lock. You're thinking, oh, I've kept most of those but, but the door is locked and the door is solid and you cannot get in. And then the door opens from the inside and there stands the Lord Jesus Christ and he looks at you and he picks you up and he carries you into the house and you're inside the house with your Saviour. And he says, now you're with me. You read the house rules. They they still apply. They don't get you in here, but this is how you're supposed to live if you're now living with me inside the house. That's kind of like the role of the law. You're not bound by the law as a way of getting into the house. You've been released from that because you died with Christ. But if you're in the house, if you're with your Saviour, you want, to do that. You want to live for him. Paul puts it better than I could in verse 4. You died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. Who do you belong to? You belong to him who was raised from the dead. You belong to Jesus now. And Paul is saying it's like you've actually got a new husband. You're, You're married to the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that is so liberating because you don't have to obey rules. You want to obey a person. You don't have to obey the rules, but you want to obey Jesus. Does that make sense? He's your husband. He's your master. And if you're living like that, according to verse 4, you will bear fruit to God in order that you might bear good fruit to honor your God because you're married to your Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say, if you're here tonight and you, you love rules and you're a bit of a legalist, if you're obsessed with finding your identity In doing the right thing, you will not bear any fruit to God. You can be the most upright, the most law abiding person in this church and do amazingly good works and set up the most amazing charities and help lots of people, but you're not bearing fruit to God. You're just bearing fruit to yourself. It's about you and your efforts and your achievements and your law keeping. But if you understood that you actually belong to a new husband whose name is Jesus and you want to live for him, then you start to bear fruit to God. That's what it means really to be a Christian. You don't have to obey the law, but you want to. I I want to be patient. I want to be kind. I want to watch my tongue. I want to honor my father and mother because I've got a new husband and I just long to do what pleases him. Isn't that liberating? Not have to, but, but want to. You're not under the law, but but God's law is still very good. This is really a word for people who love grace too much. You don't care about how you live. It's a word for those of you who say, oh, God will forgive me. That's his job. Paul says down in verse 7, uh, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Should we just get rid of the law because it's sinful? No, of course not. Look how he ends this, this uh, section in, in verse 7. So, it's ch- chapter 7, verse 12. 7 verse 12. The law is holy. It is perfect. It is set apart. It is other. The commandment is holy. It is righteous. It is good. God's law it, it is just and God's law is good and it's, it's helpful. Do you remember how the psalmist described the law? Psalm 119, Oh, how I I love your law. I meditate on it day and night. Psalm 19, The law of the law is perfect, reviving the soul. It is sweeter than honey from the comb. It's more precious than gold. The law is good. Paul says that down in verse 22. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. I I read the scriptures. I I read the commandments. I, I read the Bible and... It's just beautiful. I see how God wants me to live, and that is good, and it's helpful. And he shows me how to use my time and my talents and my actions and my money and my mind. Lord, I just love your law. Now, let me show you how the law is good. It's actually quite, quite striking. Verse 7 again. Is the law sin? Of course not. Indeed, I would not have known what sin was except through the law. So the law actually defines our sin for us and that's a a very good and kind thing of God to do to show us how sinful we are because it throws us back onto grace and keeps us humble. And verse 7, I wouldn't have known what coveting was if the law had not said do not covet. You can imagine Paul and he's looking longingly at his best mate's house, saying, oh, I wish I had a house like that. And, and he walks to the marketplace and sees these dads playing with their kids, and he says, oh, as an unmarried man, you know, I wish I had kids to play with. And suddenly those wishes become wants, and suddenly those wants become needs, and I, I need that house, and I need those kids. And, and then he opens the law, and it says, do not covet. And he said, oh, that's what I was doing. I was coveting. That's the name for it. Yeah, it's sinful. Doesn't that happen to you? Someone wrongs you and you're hurt and you're wounded and you're thinking, oh, it's okay to hold the grudge and it's okay to pay them back. I don't have to forgive. And then you read God's law and it says, you know, love your enemies. Oh, yeah, that's sinful not to forgive. That's what the law does. It it shows you right and wrong. It's a good thing knowing that your sin is a really good thing. And knowing how far short you fall of God's perfect standard is a really good thing. It throws you back on grace and keeps you humble. It's not that the law is bad, the law is good. The problem is your sin, your inner sinful nature. Verse 8 But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. It's like I read the commandment, Do not covet. And the the sinful part of me started to see all the things in my life that I really, really, really needed. Augustine describes this as the excitement of thieving. Augustine said, "I, I, I never thought about stealing until I saw that command, do not steal. But just the thought that I'd be doing something naughty made me really want to do it. It's like when you're walking through shopping mall and you see that 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 door with a big sign on uh, warning do not enter and you never thought about going behind that door but just because of the fact it says do not enter you're thinking why can't i enter i'd like to enter and that's what the word of god does it it reveals your sin in you it twists the law it puts your desires first it reveals sin it provokes you to sin it condemns your sin it's not that the law is sinful you are sinful the law doesn't cause death, your sin causes death. The law is really good. And that's why Paul says, I delight in God's law. You've got to learn to say that. First, verse, verse 12, the law is holy, the law is perfect. God's commandments are holy and righteous and good. I do hope like the psalmist, you would learn to say that I love God's law, I cherish it, I know it, because it really shows me how bad I am. Now, if you're doing that, if if you know you're you're not under law, but you know that the the law is good, then you will feel the weight of verses 14 to 25. Here it is. The inner conflict of the ordinary Christian that says, I I love God's law, but I hate what I do. I love God's law, but I hate what I do. Let me read it verses 14 onwards. We know the law is spiritual. It's really good. But I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do it. But what I hate, I do. If I do not, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good, which it is. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it. It is sin living in me, my sinful nature. I know that nothing good lives in me. That's in my sinful nature. I I've got the desire, I've got the longing and the yearning to do what is good and right and godly. I've got that desire, but I can't carry it out. Uh, let me just say that more more books and papers and blogs have been written on these verses and probably any other verses in the book of Romans. And the whole debate over is is Paul writing this before he was a Christian? Or after he was a Christian? Is he writing as a regenerate man or an unregenerate man? And let me lay my cards on the table and say, from the work that I've done, he's talking as a Christian. These are the reassuring words of, of every believer struggling to do what they know they should be doing. And I could argue that from experience. You know, this is, this is how I feel now, only a real Christian can be bothered by the sin in this way. But an argument from experience is never a good argument. I, I could argue this linguistically, that the the first pronoun Paul, it says I, and it changes tense from the past to the present in verse 14. This is how I feel now. And I could argue that from assurance, that that if Paul was writing as an unbeliever, we would be denied of one of the most precious reassuring passages for all the Christians who are struggling with their sin. But I want to argue it from theology that the rest of the Bible describes your Christian life as this daily battle. The spirit and the sinful nature. The daily battle with your inner sin. I love God's law, but I hate what I do. I've got the desire to do good, verse 18, but I just can't do it. Let me show you. It's just so clear. Verse 14 I love the law. I I know the law is spiritual. I love God's law, but I'm unspiritual. I I hate what I do. Verse 16, the law is good. But verse 17, I I hate what I do. It's no longer I who do it. It's my sin. Down to verse 22. In my inner being, I delight in God's law. Oh, Lord, how I love your law. But I hate what I do. Verse 23, I see another law work in me. It's The law of my sin. Some of us here, friends, need to work harder at loving God's law, at delighting in the Word of God. But I think most of us here need to work harder at hating what we do. Most of us need to work harder at hating what we do. uh, We're just too comfortable with our habitual sin. Uh, Jim Packer tells this story. One evening, I attended a meeting of the Christian Union in Oxford. I heard a sermon from the relatively unknown preacher, and the scales fell from my eyes, and I saw the way in. He was converted. But soon came the crisis. There was a good bit of teaching, false teaching around Oxford, especially regarding perfectionism. I was told that I would have no more struggle with my sin. But I couldn't deceive myself. I wasn't perfect, I was a sinner. I tried and I tried and I tried, but there was still no perfection, and it could easily have led to suicide. Until I read the writings of J.C. Ryle on holiness and John Owen on my indwelling sin, and it was totally liberating. I understood my indwelling sin and the ongoing fight of faith. Isn't that encouraging? You have been saved. The Spirit is at work in you. You love the Word of God, but you've got that daily struggle that you don't do what you want to do. And you will never do that until you see Jesus face to face. You will not be perfect until heaven. Who's to blame? Who's to blame for the good that you don't do and the evil that you do? Who's to blame for the fact that you can't be bothered to show kindness or you can't be bothered to forgive somebody? Who's to blame? It's not the law. It's your your sinful nature. I find verse 21 very refreshing. I find this law at work in me as a Christian. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. My desire is to do good. I, I want to be generous. I want to give to that person in need. As soon as I start to think about that, suddenly there's this evil part of me that says, no, 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 you hold on to your money. And I want to show hospitality, and I want to invite people to my home, that stranger to my home, who I don't know. And then part of me goes, but you don't know them, Paul. And all these, these good intentions that I have, but then the other part of me goes, oh, Paul, but you need to rest, and you need to take it easy, and I find this law at work, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. And maybe that describes you. you. You are struggling daily with your jealousy and your anger and your bitterness and your addiction to pornography and you are desperately trying and it's like you, you're about to give up trying because it's been so long. What are you going to do? Please, please, please don't try and keep more laws and keep more laws. The answer is there in Verse 24. It's that cry of desperation. It's that cry for help. That longing to change. Who, what, what, what a wretched man I am. How can Paul, a man who has the Spirit of God, call himself wretched? Of course he can. Because he's not perfect yet. His sinful nature is still there until he meets Jesus. What a wretched man I am. Who, who will rescue me from this body of death? Rules don't work. Oh, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He looks at his almighty God. He looks at his Savior. He says, thank you, Lord Jesus, that you did save me. And thank you that I will be saved on that last day. I'm just longing for that day when my my evil mind will be completely pure. And I'm longing for that day when this decaying body of mine will be completely restored. And I'm longing for the day when my, my intentions are, are actually brought to fruition and I'm longing for the day when my actions are always right and always good and I just long for the day when I see Jesus. Who will rescue me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, Packer says it well. Paul is not telling us the life of the wretched man is as bad as it could be. He is telling us it is not as good as it should be. It's not as bad as it could be, but it's not as good as it should be. And because the man delights in God's law and longs to keep it perfectly, his continued inability to do so troubles him acutely. I hope that is you. Because you delight in God's law and because you long to keep it perfectly, your continual inability to do so, it troubles you acutely And day after day after day, you are struggling and you are grappling. You're thinking, what a wretched man I am. When will this struggle end? And the answer is, when you get your resurrection body and when you see Jesus. This is the normal Christian life. I I love God's law, but I hate what I do. If that's you tonight, can I say you're normal? You're totally normal. One of the joys of being a pastor is you sit with people and you listen to them pour out their hearts and they talk about their struggles and their battles to live the Christian life, often with tears in their eyes, and just to turn to Romans chapter 7 and say, yep, Paul faced the same struggles, and I do as well. You're just a normal, healthy Christian battling with your sin. Isn't that refreshing? Maybe you're here tonight and you really are weary You feel a constant failure. Can I encourage you to to grab hold of this chapter and say, what a wretched man or woman I am who will rescue me, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'll leave my last word for those people tonight who, you wonder what I'm talking about. You don't feel this tension at all. What do you mean this battle? it's just all about grace, I can do what I want, or it's just about rule-keeping, and that will make me right with God. If that is you, and you've never felt this tension in your Christian life, I have to say, I do wonder whether the Spirit of God is at work in you. If you love Jesus, if the Spirit of God is at work in you, then day after day after day, you should feel this tension, this battle between your sinful nature and the Spirit. I don't know who you are, whether you're the people who love law, the people who love grace too much, the unbeliever, or just the normal, ordinary Christian. But I do pray that Romans chapter 7 have a special place in your daily walk with God. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we we want to be people who delight in your law. We want to be people who say your law is holy and is righteous and is good. Oh, how we love your law and we meditate on it day and night. It is sweeter than honey from the comb and more precious than any gold. Uh, thank you, Father, that we are saved by grace and that law-keeping does not save us. And Lord, just help us day by day and hour by hour just to keep living this life of tension between the good that we want to do and don't do and the the bad that we don't want to do and keep on doing. And Lord, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus again, the victory that he won. And Father, thank you that, that one day this struggle and this battle will be over and we will see you face to face with our resurrection bodies and our new minds and a pure heart, and that we will serve you for all eternity. And we thank you in Jesus' name.